Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Series on Citizens of Heaven Down, but this morning I want to talk about something that is really, really uh, can be a problematic. We live in a big stuff culture. Our culture, this country, we love big stuff, slick stuff, pretty stuff, you know. And it is so easy without our even thinking about it for that to start creeping into our thinking creeping into our mentality, you know, to begin to affect, even imperceptibly, our perception, our uh, meaning that the way we judge things concerning what we see, even our value system. And I'm telling you, it is so ubiquitous, meaning it, it, we're swimming in it. It, it, we're, it is so everywhere, and it is so subtle that you might not even notice. All right. And when the Jews returned from Babylon. Now, remember that the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians and was was, uh, you know, most of them were deported and all that. But then hundreds of years later, well, not quite, uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, fell to Babylon. And after, you know, being rebellious against Babylon, finally, the Babylonians came back and burned the city down and then deported those who were left and took them to Babylon to live. And they were there for 70 years. And they had heard through Jeremiah the prophet, you know, live there, plant uh, gardens, build houses, prosper, pray for the Babylonians so that you may uh, do well there and you will come back. Well, when it came time to come back, you know how humans are? A lot of them didn't want to leave. And they finally had to say, you know, in fact, you get into Zechariah and, and other of the minor prophets. They said, you know, you tell these people living in Babylon, they need to get down here. And when they returned, they were busy setting up, you know, you know, re, rebuilding the houses and planting the fields and everything. And for an extended period of time, the temple, which had been burned by the king of Babylon, by Nebuchadnezzar and all of its treasures taken out of it, it just sat there desolate. And finally, through Haggai the prophet, they were rebuked, the people rebuked. He said, do you know why you're not doing any better than you're doing? It's because you're, paying, you're spending all your time feathering your own nest, building your own kingdom, laying up your own 403B, 401K, etc., are you hear me? While my house lies desolate. So the Lord gave at least some of the people a heart to work and they rebuilt the temple. Now, that became known as the second temple. Solomon's temple was the first temple and the, and the second temple was the one they began to rebuild or they built under Zerubbabel, the governor, after the Babylonian captivity. And in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3, we see the, the, the dedication of the foundation when they had laid the foundation of the second temple. And on the 21st, of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came by Haggai the prophet saying, 
Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of, or, or Bar in that case, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, ben Jehozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Doesn't it seem like nothing in comparison? Wow. They were standing there. In fact, if you go down to Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, this from also from the NAS, this records the same thing. Yet many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first temple. Now remember that the first temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was gobsmacking in its glory and everything. And even though it had been fallen into disuse, it had been restored and then fallen into disuse and restored when kings like Hezekiah had come along and, or Josiah and, and restored it. It was magnificent. It was large. It was ornate. It was beautiful. And so it says, many of the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. Before And while many shouted for joy, notice it says, while many shouted for joy, the old men were crying because as Haggai, or Haggai says, doesn't it seem like nothing? All they could think about was how awesome it was and look at this shack we are building. That's what it was. That was what was going on. So that the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. So the people shouted with a loud shout, and the shout was heard far away. They looked at it and they said, this is a lean-to. What? Because it was so much smaller. It was so, it was, it wasn't big stuff. We had big stuff. You gotta remember, they've been away in Babylon for 70 years, and all they could think about was how wonderful. And they would tell their children about how wonderful the temple was, and how ornate it was, and the gold that was on it, and the kerevim that stood, you know, carved on the walls, and, and all of the, you know, all of the wonderful things of that temple. And when they go back, it's in, it's in ruins, and they go, We're gonna build the temple! Yay! And what did they build? This little thing, the dinky. By comparison. And what were they looking at? They were looking at it through big stuff eyes, not spiritual eyes. They were looking at, they were, they, you know, the, the, the important thing was that God was satisfied. Would it grow? Yes. And by the time, hundreds of years later, by the time Herod had done the things to it that he wanted to add on to it, it had once again become something that was so magnificent. It was, you know, it, it was a wonder of the ancient world. And yet by that time, it was as useless as it had been in the days of Zedekiah. The fact is, we, many, many you know, we live in America where everything's big, everything's polished, everything's flashy, everything's spectacular, everything's awesome. We know how to do production. 
There's no business like show business like no business I know. And that is absolutely the truth. That is the way the world thinks. And it, if we are not careful, it insidiously begins to insert its way. We even have megachurches now that have people that are doing choreographed dance routines with flashes of fire and smoke and all of that stuff and calling that worship, which it is not. It's a production. Sometimes the legitimate and the real seems very, very tiny and very insignificant. And if we're not careful, we look at what others have done, whether it's in the will of God or not, or whether God was in it or not, and we say, why, why, why do I even bother? Why do I even try? That is the voice of the enemy. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, the angel is speaking. And also the word of Yahweh came to me saying, or actually the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. And his hands will finish it. This is obviously during construction. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. Then he asked a very interesting question. Who has despised the day of small things? Who has thought the day of small things is nothing? Well, we do. American culture despises little stuff. And the enemy works overtime to get you and me to judge our own lives, our own ministries, our own accomplishments by some quote-unquote media superstar. And that can become that can be very very discouraging because it becomes you know big eye little you or big eye little me you know because if he can't get you into the ditch with not caring about what you do for the Lord which is where to be candid most American Christians are right now what he'll try to do is discourage you with what looks like hear me a lack of progress. I want you to think about this. We're going to talk about this. For, is it okay if we, we go here? Yeah. All right. Um, when really since 2008, does anybody know what the doldrums are? In the Pacific in particular, they will have periods of, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, nowadays it's not a big deal, but back in the days of the big sailing ships, when they would hit the doldrums, they were stranded. Because there was no wind. They would just be out there and their sails would be just as loose as, you know, a, a wash on a, you know, wash out on a, well, I was about to say a clothesline, but some people don't have any idea what a clothesline is anymore. <laughs> we used to laugh about my Air Force Reserve unit used to deploy to Keesler Air Force Base down in Mississippi to, uh, uh, for, Summer tour. You don't go to Gulfport, Mississippi for summertime because it's hot and it's humid. And we used to laugh about how, you know, you could put your clothes wet out of the washing machine on the clothes dryer at 730 in the morning and go to work and come back in the afternoon and it's still wet. 
because it is too humid to dry, you know. And the doldrums would just, you know, it would be the, if the big sailing ships. You could have an entire fleet out there just sitting in the water. They call it the Pacific because unlike the Atlantic, which is basically churning and choppy most all the time, the Pacific will have times, my dad, now I've never been out there and seen this, but my dad was in the Navy in World War II. And he said there would be days when the fleet would be moving on from one place to another and they would have some extra time and the fleet would just stop. They would stop moving. And he said there would be no wind at all. And he said once the wakes of the ships had, uh, had, you know, had rippled out like that, you'd have these big ships sitting out there and the water is just like glass. For a water skier, that is heaven. <laughs> the, you know, and you know, if, if all you've got to get you around is a sail, it feels like you are, well, you are, you're stuck. And I'm here to tell you that the only way, there's only two ways we can move in life in the, you know, and that is one, with our sails up and by the breath of God moving us on. Or we can move under our own power. Now, which do you think is better? But I'll tell you which one is more tempting because there are times, there are days of small things. Who's despised them? We, it's like, I want something to be happening. I want something to be moving. And we keep thinking, okay, it's been a month. It's been two months. It's been six months. It's been a year. It's been two years. It's been 10 years. And we look at that and say, how is this possible? Go ask Abraham. He can tell you all about it. And after all of the, you know, you see, you know, I'm old enough. I was thinking about how old I am today. And I remember, I distinctly remember, some of you are old enough to remember this. I distinctly remember when they were, went on TV to show the very first television program that was bounced off of Telstar, that very first television satellite that went up, and we were watching TV that was coming to us live from Europe. Whoa. That's old, Pastor. Now we have fiber optic cables and we can communicate instantly. Maybe that's an improvement, maybe it isn't. The fact of the matter is that back in the 80s and even into the, well, actually from 1948 to 1959, we had an outpouring of the spirit in this nation that was spectacular. I mean, we had people like A.A. A. Allen and, and, and uh, Oral Roberts and uh, David Nunn and uh, Jack Coe and many others with these big tents crisscrossing the nation. Plus, even in the churches, there was the, uh, the, the, uh, the voice of healing movement in the churches or the latter rain movement. And God was moving spectacularly. Then in, the, in, in about 1958-59, it morphed into the charismatic movement. We saw some things beginning to percolate even in the, even in the mainline uh, denominational churches. Then in the 70s, the faith movement began to arise. And irrespective of what, yes, it had its excess. Of course, they all, all movements do. Why? Because they got people in them. 
And we began to learn something in New Orleans. And we, we saw the, the, the you know, believing in faith in God. We got into the 80s and we saw some awesome things happen there. And then in the 90s, it started to turn inward. And by the 2000, then 2001 came along. We had 9-11 and we had all of our lawmakers standing there on the steps of the Capitol, you know, singing God bless America and being led in prayer. Some of those same people are voting for stuff that is absolutely abominable to God. And today, and that was when, it was in 2002, the Lord spoke to me and said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. And I did not, I mean, I knew some parts of it, but it's just become increasingly evident to me through time that after the splash, after the glitz, after the high profile stuff of the 80s and the 90s, it just seems like right now, there's, I cannot tell you how many men of God to whom I have spoken who have said things like, it just seems like I, I'm not getting any direction. I'm, I'm adrift. Another one said to me, I'm stuck. I, I don't have, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do next. There isn't any, and I keep saying, if you don't have direction, don't move. Don't go out under your own power. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not supposed to just sit around and do nothing. I understand that. But we've got to remember how God works. For everybody that's feeling very, very tiny and insignificant, that is a mustard seed. God starts small. Think about this. We go over to uh, Genesis 9, 10 through there. We see, 11, we see the rejection of God by the 70 nations. And we have the table of nations. 70 by some count, 72 by others. And they rejected God. God scattered them across the face of the earth and he confused their languages to where they wouldn't hang together. And then he says, okay, I'll grow my own nation. That tells me that God is not afraid to do things the long way or the hard way. And usually that means both. Amen. So he calls a man named Abraham and starts a nation. How many kids did Abraham have? Two one was Abraham's idea. He went under his own power. The other one was God's idea because there was the wind of the Spirit. That was the one with Sarah. His name was Isaac. Yitzhak. He laughs. Because when God told him what, he's like, no way. No way. You know, you reach a place where it just didn't seem like God could do it. You just get so ground down. Everybody say amen. You know. And so then came along Jacob, and that's when the drama really started. <laughs> Five centuries it took God to have a people that was ready to take the land. And he called them out of Egypt only to find that actually they weren't ready. What does it say in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4? Whatever is born, not whoever, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whatever is born, there is so much today that looks like God, yet he's not in it. There's so much today, you know, that, you know, that they, oh, God's doing this, but he has not, you know, he's not there. And there's a lot of things that God has put in your heart and my heart that have not manifested. And haven't manifested. And 
haven't manifested and haven't manifested and haven't manifested. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you begin to wonder, did I hear from God? Does God know what he's doing? Earth to God. How many of you know what I'm saying? You've got to know how John... Just think about it. John the Baptist grew up hearing about how supernatural his birth actually was. And hearing that he had a cousin whose birth was even more supernatural. And that God was going to do great things. So at 10 years of age, he's looking forward to good things. And at 15 years of age, he's looking forward to good things. And at 20 years of age, he's looking forward to good things. At 25 years of age, he's beginning to wonder about good things. And then when he's 30, the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. In other words, at 30 years of age, here's John standing out here just looking at his sails like he has for the last 30 years, wondering, why do I even have this up? Now, if you think John didn't think stuff like that, I assure you he did, because when he was in jail, he even, after having witnessed the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in bodily form as a dove, seeing exactly what the Word of God had told him he would see upon the Mashiach, upon the Messiah, even after having seen that, he still sent, Matthew chapter 11, an ambassage, a group of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus if he was the coming one or should we wait for someone else. Why? Because things were not going the way John thought they would. Now, is there anyone in this room who will lie to me and tell me that everything has gone exactly the way you thought it would? No, it never does. You know why? Because God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Luke chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Let's read that. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was, Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high... You know, Luke is big about getting the date just right here. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, uh, son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. John did not launch until God launched him. That doesn't mean John wasn't doing anything. He was preparing. He was praying. But when that word came to him, he was right where he was supposed to be. And the word of God, the word of Yahweh, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. Now he can move in faith. Now the, the sails are filling up. You know, I've, I've often thought, you know, God, when, 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 went like this. And then I've had little glimpses of it. And I thought, man, I, I hope I know what to do. I mean, you know what I'm talking about here. All right. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, we see John, we see Jesus. And we desire each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope, confidence, 
until the end so that you won't be sluggish. We'll come back to that. But imitators of those who through what? Faith and patience. Levi, I'm going to the board. All right. Did you notice that it says those who through faith and patience. Make no mistake, there is a reason that it's in this order. Because without faith, you ain't never going to have patience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you patience is the thing that you get up and say, oh Lord, give me patience today. Teach me patience. I want to be patient. So then he will send you to the post office to stand in a very long line. He will send you to, you know, uh, the drive, the slowest drive through window of any restaurant in the area. And by the way, if you'd like a reference for a couple afterwards that are very slow, I can tell you. No, because tribulation worketh patience. <laughs> That's one I don't quote on a regular basis, believe me. All right. And Jesus and John both launched their ministries when, where, and how the Spirit led them to do so. All right? It takes faith to be, and not only that, here's something else. You see that word that, that A looks more like a nine. But anyway, patience. There's two words that are often translated patience in the Bible. One means perseverance, hupomone. It means perseverance. This word patience, faith and patience, is the word makrothemia, which means big suffering. Okay, Pastor, I was with you that out. I'm leaving now. Macro, we, get, we take our, our, our prefix, macro, M-A-C-R-O, the Greeks spell it with a kappa, they spell it with a K. Uh, macro, thumia, big suffering. In other words, it isn't just, you know, while waiting, isn't just sitting on a beach, sucking on a cold drink, just waiting on the things of God to just fall on you. No, there is work to do, there is labor, there is commitment, there is ministry, even when it feels like you have been sowing for decades and have seen little or nothing come back. John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was a very, very godly woman. It says in Luke that there was... You know, as a couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who walked in all the way, they were faithful to God. And yet, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 7, it said, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Now, I want, you to, I, I want to go back and I, actually I want to read the, one, the, the verse before that because it, 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 it is a disparity in the eyes of of the people. When you read verse 6, it says, and they were, well, let's back up and read verse 5. And in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias 
in the division of Avaha who had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They'd done everything right. The priest had married one of the daughters of Aaron. He hadn't gone outside, right? And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But, now in the New American Standard it says and, but the word can be and should be translated but. Why? Because the people would look at that and say that Elizabeth, that something was wrong with them spiritually. Because we're commanded to reproduce. We're commanded to have children. And the Jews took that hyper seriously. Remember, you know, when Rachel said to to Jacob, Give me children lest I die. But they had no child because Elizabeth was, put that back up. All right, Elizabeth was, what's the next word? Barren. That is a pejorative word. To call someone barren... It's one thing to call someone childless. It's one thing to call somebody without children or say they have no kids. But to say she's barren, it's a pejorative term. She was considered, it was, it was a disgrace upon her. Even though she was a godly woman. It says that. In fact, we know that's true. Because in Luke chapter, that same first chapter of Luke, in verse 24, after she's become pregnant... It says in verse 24 and 25, After these days Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked with favor upon me to take away my what? How much is done in the body to impress somebody else and not God? You know, I'm not kidding you. you know, I meet people all the time. And they say, what do you do? I'm a pastor of church and everything like that. Well, how long have you been there? 37 years. Whoa! I mean, I'll go over to places where ministers of all different faiths because we're supporting a particular Christian school out here, SCA. And we'll be sitting at a table and, you know, there's a Lutheran there and a Presbyterian, and, you know, something like that. And they'll say, well, where do you pastor? I'll say, Independence Christian Center. They'll say, how long have you been there? And I say, 35 years, 37, whatever the appropriate time period is at the time. And they go, because that's just uh, absolutely unheard of. It's like, dude. And then they ask the inevitable next question. How big's your church? And I would love to say 7,000, you know, you know. That's not counting the online. We have a campus over in, we have a campus in Olathe. We have a campus in, in uh, Sugar Creek. We have a campus down in Belton and all of that, like, you know. And, you know, that's a, that's a question to be candid that I get a little tired of answering. Why? Because we ain't doing nothing. Everybody understand what I'm saying to you. The Lord has taken away my disgrace. Well, just take what I'm telling you and apply it to whatever it is that works for you in your life. The day of small things. Okay, the decades of small things. There's a pattern here. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, all four of those women 
were late bloomers. Sarah, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, neither the deadness of his own body, Abraham considered not, you know, his own body now as good as dead, being a hundred years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. All right. How about Rachel? Give me children. You know, Leah was producing no problem like this. Rachel, who was the favored wife, was producing nothing. And it was crushing her. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the first true judge Israel had. We know what she went through and Eli and all that stuff. Then there was, of course, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth. And each and every case, the delay was God at work. Why? Because God says, I'm going to do this in a way where everybody will look at it and say, that has to be God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take, I don't want the credit for what God does through me. Right? And so it, it should not bother me. I said it should not. It does. But it should not bother me that it takes so long. When the right time came, they gave birth to sons who would change the world. Are you with me? Again, patience isn't just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for God to move. Patience is putting our hand to what God has given us right now and not always looking over, you know, way beyond looking for yet another opportunity. Even if what we have looks like the second temple, it seems as there's nothing in our eyes and perhaps a lot of other people would agree because we live in the big stuff, the big, the flashy, the glitzy thing and the temptation to be uh, to succumb to the fear of missing out, FOMO, begins to control us. It's all, I almost named, this message is entitled uh, Resisting the Big Stuff Mentality, but I almost titled it For the Love of God. Because that is the only way we beat this. Is we love God more than we love success, more than we love our own reputation, more than we love anything else. We let Him build it. Galatians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. Paul says, For you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now look at verse 14. And I was advancing in Judea, uh, Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul said, I was a rising star in Judaism. I was headed for the Sanhedrin. He had all the creds, all the credentials necessary. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin. We do not know anything about uh, Paul's father, except that he apparently was pretty important because for Paul to have been born a Roman citizen meant that his father had accomplished something pretty, pretty noteworthy. Then he right, grew up in Jerusalem going to all the right schools. He went to the school of uh, Gamaliel. 
and graduated, I'm sure, with honors. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on his way to the top. He was truly a doctor of the law, a scribe. And what he didn't realize all of that time was he was under his own power. Yet God was watching going, I have a plan for him. Can you imagine if somebody would have told him during his persecution days that he was going to write two thirds of the scriptures that these very people he was persecuting would rely upon for guidance from God. Because who better to pick to write, to straighten out the theology than somebody who was absolutely steeped in it. He walked away from wealth. He walked away from fame. He walked away from power. Uh, Philippians 3 and 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the suppress, surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You know, I just lost it all. Oh, you know, I've heard people say that. I used to have it better when I was in the world. Man, this living for Jesus is tough. God, do you see what I've given up for you? Blues, despair, and agony on me. God came and saved me. Wasn't one great man of God used to say, I'd rather hear a donkey bray in a tin barn at midnight than listen to that. No, what does Paul say? And count them but rubbish. The translators have cleaned that up for us because the word is excrement. Dung. Poop. Well, what about your, what about, you? look at all the things you left behind. Eh, it's poop. Boy, Lord help us all to walk in that. Everybody say amen. And we will never consider the things that we, I, I remember a, uh, there, was a, there was a missionary, I don't even know if the guy's alive anymore, but when I was in school, there was a missionary that came to our church and his name was Italo Frigoli. He was a missionary to Spain, I think. And he said something, I don't remember anything else he said. I, I don't. And it's not because what he's, he wasn't remarkable or anything, he was a man of God. But he said one thing that just went straight into my head and it's still there. He said, anything you give up for Jesus is trash. That is profound. Or in Paul's case, poop. All right. And, you know, really, you know, we want a crown without a cross. Does everybody say, everybody, you know, it's getting quiet. We want a crown without a cross. To please God and to walk with God, there will always be sacrifice. Even as Jesus sacrificed himself for us, when we look over at Romans chapter 12, offer you, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, which would be me, you, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What does that mean? Crawl up on the altar and die. Crawl up on the altar and let everything go to him. Everything. You know, 
And we are never going to do that unless we love God more than we love our own lives. We love Him more than we love our own ambitions. Remember Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2? He said, man, your doctrine is good. You've sifted through the people that say they're, you know, they're, they're false apostles and all this. I mean, you guys are really cooking on that. But there is one small problem that I, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. So is my desire to please the Lord greater than my desire to achieve, my desire to have this, my desire to have that. There's something, you, you, you read some place. You know, I drive down, when I drive down my street to go anywhere, because there's only one way in and one way out of my neighborhood, there's a fellow down there that has a garage that sometimes the garage door is up and lurking within that garage is a beast. 1969 Camaro Z28 RS. Some of you don't know what that is, but those of you who do, I can close, because I was in high school when those things were brand new, and I can close my eyes and hear the gear whine of that 302 whining up. I remember the way that because of the cam, when you, you could put it in first gear and let the clutch out and just lope across the parking lot. It was so cool. And the pop and the thump of that motor. And I look at that car. <clears throat> but I am not going to say, that's my goal. I want one of those. Because when you get one, you know what? You'll want one of a different color. And so you'll need two. Then you'll need three. Pretty soon it'll be Jay Leno's garage. It's never enough when we're satisfied. Now, if the Lord gives me one of those cars, wink, 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 wink to heaven, it'll be enough. It'll be a gift. And I won't be requiring more of it than it's capable of supplying. That's what, you know, that's what burnout is. You, you know, people, you, years ago, I remember when it was popular to talk about burnout. People would say, I want to hit this level. And they'd hit it and find out that it didn't satisfy them. And so they, they raised their sights and they worked hard and hit this level. And it didn't satisfy them. So they raised their... And finally, after accomplishing bang, 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 they get to the place where they realize somehow it ain't doing it for me. And they burn out. If my desire to please God isn't greater than my desire for anything else, then I'll never, then I cannot sacrifice in the way he wants me to. He'll take whatever I give him. Can you say amen? Thank God for that. Because none of us is or has been or will be perfect in this. But in 2 Corinthians 9 or 5, excuse me, verses 9 and 10, this is from the NIV 84. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, 
in the body or away from it. Listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That should be sobering. It really, that we're each and every one going to stand before him and make an account for our lives down here. It's sobering to me. Fortunately for us, when it comes time for the rewards, he's got us covered. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The bad stuff will be burned up, so we will not be rewarded for that. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, you know, what, what was God's idea when we stand before the throne? And what was me chasing my own desires? And we see it all the time. People will try to baptize their own plan. You know what I mean by that? In other words, they'll come up, they'll rationalize scriptures. They'll rationalize ways that even in their heart of hearts, they know that wasn't it. Or they've become so hardened that their heart's changing their own way. You know, and... When I stand before the Lord, was I faithful in the little things? He who is unrighteous in a small thing is unrighteous in much. He who is righteous in a little thing is righteous in much. Because when I was talking to a friend of mine months ago, and he says, I, I just feel stuck. And I was talking to another friend just recently. He says, we're just in a holding pattern. You know, he said, I don't know. You know, we know. We know we have an idea what our next step is, but, you know, the Lord just hasn't opened the doors yet. When I stand before God, will he tell me? Uh, one of the things you have to learn to, to fly instrument, to be instrument rated, is you have to learn how to fly a holding pattern. And there is a, it's definitely prescribed. Way, when they say if, if, uh, if Kansas City Tower was to say to you, uh, you know, proceed to the Napoleon Vortac, enter into, which is, if you've ever driven to Napoleon up, I think it's H out here, you see that big white cone with a big thing on the top of it? That's, a, that is a, a, that's an aviation aid. It's a VOR, uh, TACAN transmitter. And, it, you know, you're, you've got a thing on your dash that tells you where it is. You tune in the frequency, and you fly to it, and you fly out this way, then you make a two-minute turn, and you fly back this way to the vortex, then you make a two-minute turn, and you just circle there until they can get you into the airport. They're staging you. Now, here's the really scary part. You're having to fly, most of the time, you're having to fly completely on instruments because you're in the soup. You are in the clouds. You have no ground reference. You have no sun or star reference. The re, you know, it's, it's the, the airport's slowed down because of, of inclement weather and it's raining on you and you're just out there flying around in a circle. And the only way you know, back in the, now today they've got GPSs and you can see yourself right on the GPS. But back in the day, you couldn't cheat like that. You had to watch the needles of the VOR and you had to just stay within it and keep your turn indicator exactly where it was supposed to be. With, and that was the only way you knew where you were. And with the Word of God is the only way where we really know where we are. 
God, what do you want me to do? Keep it up. I'm not doing a whole lot. Good job. <laughs> but I want to do this and this and this. A guy told a great story at a, a, a meeting, WMF, where I was down there, about God calling a junior angel, a new one, you know, and says, I want you to go to Larry. I want you to give Larry a message for me. You know, very, something very simple. And the junior angel said, Okay, do you want me to appear to him at the foot of his bed and, and, to, be, and you know, to be radiant and really put on the dog? No, just, just, just give him the message. Well, I could, I, I, could, uh, I could go and I could have all kinds of other things that go along like this so that when I finally, you know, he'll see this and he'll see that and he'll see something else. And then when I finally do appear to him, he'll know that it's complete confirmation because I've engineered all these things. And the God goes... No, just give him the message. But I can work through this person. I can be a prophetic word through this person. I can be a prophetic word through that person. I can be, do this like this, and I can confirm it hand over fist so that he will be, I mean, he will really, 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 really know it's you. And the Lord goes, just give him the message. How many of you follow me? The Lord spoke to us in 2002 and said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. I had no idea at the time so many people were going to wander away. Man, have we seen, not just here. And boy, COVID really took its toll. They say 30% of people who were in church and engaged before COVID never came back. 40% kind of came back. It is crucial and it is imperative that we love the Lord first and foremost if our musicians would come. And if you do that, it is not a pass from struggling. You will still struggle because you are human. Because it is through faith and long-suffering patience that we inherit. Once it gets going, the Lord's already shown me a couple of things that the day will come instead of we're saying, oh, come on, God, move. Come on, God, move. Oh, God, please move. And then it's going to be, oh, God, slow down. I can't keep up. Be careful what you've... And then the Lord says, we've well, been praying this for 20 some odd years. I mean... You, Amen. Our faith will bring the grace to endure. Our faith will bring the grace to triumph. When we stand up before God, we will receive a reward not for big stuff. Did you know that the person that accomplishes exactly what they, God wants for him or her in his life. And it's a very, very low key. Maybe a lot of people didn't notice. Maybe nobody noticed. And then here's pastor, you know, uh, uh, big stuff of the big church and everything. That's, you know, all this kind of stuff. If he fulfilled his God's perfect will for his life and didn't do it on his own, his reward and the reward of the person who swept the floors and that's what God had them to do. They will be equal. 
I don't have to worry about Billy Graham outclassing me in heaven because he did what he did by the anointing of God. So he didn't do it. When we stand before God, we get rewarded for how well we yielded. Where are we faithful in the trenches while God is lining everything up? It's hard to think of God as not having his ducks yet in a row, but it's because he's working with human ducks. And we are a mess. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, and this is from the NIV 84, and it's, it's the only version that renders it this way, and this is a great rendering. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. John was a forerunner, but the move, he was obscure. He's out in the desert. He's out in the wilderness and he just starts preaching. And it's so obscure. It's so insignificant. He didn't go to the big synagogues and hold meetings. He didn't go in and rent the Jerusalem arena. He was out there in the boonies eating grasshoppers oh yeah dressed like Elijah and he was out and when the word of the Lord came to him he wasn't trying to make something happen he was out there in the boonies doing what studying laboring doing whatever it was he was doing and then when the word of God came the sails filled with air And the ship began to move. And it wasn't just, here's the cool part. It wasn't just his ship. It was the entire kingdom. I don't want to move under my own power. That gets me out there somewhere. But when I am under the power of the Spirit, we're all going together. Hallelujah. It's not about big stuff. It's not about, you you know, big stuff is coming. Make no mistake about it. But it's big stuff God is doing. It's not big stuff we do. It's this big stuff. Because with John began, in a real sense, the greatest spiritually military move of God and His kingdom against the dominion of darkness in history. Until now. We get to be a part of the second one. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and your Savior, I want to encourage you not to wait another nanosecond, but to come into the kingdom right now. Give your heart to Jesus. Cry out to Him and say, Lord, come and save me. Come into my heart. I give my life to you. Commit your heart. Commit your life. Commit your way to Him as Lord. Not just as Savior, as Lord. It's not just a simple little prayer. It is a heartfelt commitment. And the scripture says, you will be born again. And you will leave the dominion of darkness and come into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Christian, be faithful. Whatever, maybe you feel like God has you out on the rock pile, making little ones out of big ones. And that's all He's had you doing. As long as you are where He has you, doing what He has you to do. There is a great reward in heaven for that. It is through faith and patience that the patriarchs receive the blessing 
and saw the kingdom advance. And you know what? It's no different today than it was then. Our God is faithful. If you have been seeking the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind, and you're going to church, and you're involved in church, you're in a ministry, you're doing those things, but your heart is yearning for more, I assure you that yearning is from God. But do not try to make it happen yourself. You let God bring you where He wants you to be. And He'll do it through you. And you will discover that that is way cooler because what you build, you have to maintain. But what God builds, He maintains. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.